Welcome to the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast. My name is Michael, and each week I shall take you on a guided walk of hundreds of untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within one square mile. Proving that, if you dig deep enough, you'll find that on every street, in every city, there's a killer on every corner, death on every doorstep, and homicide in every home. Murder Mile is investigated using original police files and eyewitness testimony, with authentic sounds recorded at the murder location itself, and is accompanied by photos, videos and maps to make you feel like you're actually there. A new episode of the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast is released every Thursday on almost every podcast platform. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Hello all, I'm Paul, creator and host of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. I've been a crime buff for many years now and my enthusiasm has led its way here. If you fancy each week delving into some obscure but in-depth and often disturbing true crime tales from the shores of the UK, plus you don't mind the northern accents and the down-to-earth manner, then why not come have a nosy? The show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. So it'd be great if you guys could come and have a look-see and I hope you can subscribe today. I'd love you to join me and I look forward to seeing you there too. See if you can become enthusiastic about the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. The common thread in the movies we've covered has been their inspiration by real-life crimes, whether they be factual retellings or original stories grown from a single headline or memory. Movies themselves can also serve as an inspiration, not only for fellow filmmakers, but for the impressionable minds of viewers, inspiring them to commit their own heinous actions. This is Based on a True Crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. And we are joined in uh, not our studio by uh, Heather and Rochelle from Nature vs. Narcissism, who has uh, been kind enough to collaborate with us on this episode and also welcome us into uh, their recording space and let me play with the little dogs. Uh, <laughs> the little thank dogs. you. Yes, Heather, thank you for very much. Me play with your dogs. Uh, to begin with, we're going to do our usual rundown. The promos that you heard in the beginning of this episode were for Mike from the Murder Mile podcast and Paul from the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. So be sure to check them out after you listen to our episode, of course. (laughs) And we also want to quickly thank our reviewers, uh, Teresa on Facebook, Casey Royals 13, Murder Mile, and Tip T.I. Harris. And lastly, I want to give a quick birthday shout out to at Ames in Wonderland on Instagram, uh, Amy G. So happy birthday, Amy. I know that this is a little bit late because our episode is a little bit late and it was 
already a little bit late for your birthday. So also happy early birthday to my mom. <laughs> yes. Happy birthday to both of you. So Heather, Rochelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about nature versus narcissism? I know that our listeners have already heard me talk about how much I dig your podcast. So now's your chance to uh, tell, tell them all about it. Basically, you basically told them about it, but <laughs> we cover serial killers. We follow the alphabet. So Ted Bundy was in the bees, kind of thing like that. We like to explore from their childhood up to their crime sprees, if you will, and then find out why they did it. Nature, nurture, narcissism. Uh-huh. We have guests every now and then. We do um, some murders from their hometown, stuff like that. Yeah, I love the murder sewed episodes. They're always a lot of fun. They're uh, they're kind of like mini sodes, except they're actually quite substantial usually. Um, Too substantial sometimes. <laughs> Too much editing. I know that feeling. Yes, for (laughs) sure. But yeah, they're they're always a blast. Definitely more on the true crime comedy side of things. So hopefully you guys can bring a little bit of that humor to our our special episode this week. I don't think I mentioned yet. So this was supposed to be our April Fool's Day episode. Um, And what we're doing is we are flipping the podcast. So rather than talking about the crimes that have inspired different movies, we're actually going to give some cases where the movies inspired crimes. So this was something that uh, we had been thinking about for a while. And then actually Mariah, a member of our Facebook Holt group, also mentioned it as a April Fool's episode. And I was like, Shh, we're doing that. And then, of course, we missed it by whatever, four or five days now. So, <sighs> yeah, we'll Alas, consider it a, yeah. uh, a spring episode. <laughs> yes. Welcome to spring. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, guys, for joining us on the show. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, why don't sh- should I start? Yeah, go for <laughs> is, it. Is now is that what we do next? All yes. right. So in 1993, Kevin and Heather Miller met at a seafood restaurant in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, where she was working as a waitress and he was a manager. Kevin was an ex-Marine and Heather was a single mom still recovering from her previous abusive relationship. The pair headed off and in April of 1995, they married in a large fairy tale style ceremony. Kevin adopted Heather's young daughter and the pair welcomed a second child before purchasing a new car and townhouse in Richlandton, Pennsylvania. And as they would have it, perhaps Mercury was also in retrograde then. But two weeks later, Kevin lost his job as a computer consultant. And yes, I'm blaming every bad thing that's happened on Mercury being in retrograde. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Including Gertrude killing a mouse and leaving its decapitated head next to my bed this morning. Yes. Well, on top of the new financial stresses introduced by his job loss, uh, one week later, Heather found out that she was pregnant again. Is it weird hearing me talk about a Heather? Yeah, I'm <laughs> still trying to follow. Like, I don't remember any of that happening. I might have been blacked out. No, it was a while back, early 90s. Well, on top of, yes, losing his job, Heather found out that she was pregnant again. Kevin began working 80 hours a week at two different jobs, one as a computer systems manager and one as a manager at Walmart. And after coming home from his 16-hour work days, he would often lash out at Heather for neglecting her housework, not realizing by his own later admission that she was suffering from severe depression. Neighbors could actually hear Kevin screaming at her constantly, and one of them, Sandy Miller, even ended up taking Heather in after Kevin kicked her out of the house. And this was while she was pregnant. Oh, what the wow. fuck? Yeah. Harsh. Uh, quite, quite rude, we'll say. Um, That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. So Heather tried to get admitted to a women's shelter. And um, this is something that maybe they need to work on. So she was turned away because she wasn't being physically abused. She was only being, you know, emotionally abused and kicked out of her house while pregnant. 
Wouldn't that be physical abuse if she's bearing a child? I apparently not according to this shelter. Well, Kevin was the the breadwinner. You know, she didn't work. She was just taking care of the kids. And she felt that she couldn't get a divorce because she didn't have money to hire a lawyer. But despite this constant strain to their relationship, they did end up having another child together in 1998. So over the years, over this whole time frame, Heather continued to express her desire to leave her relationship with Kevin. Um, she told many friends about this, including her best friend and former neighbor, Mindy Robbins. Mindy was a practicing Wiccan and she she gave Heather advice on how to use black magic to drive her husband away. Aha. Uh-huh. Sign me up. Yes. I mean, not not about the husband thing, but the black magic thing. <laughs> Which I I feel like being a Wiccan seems like the opposite to me of like a black magic-y thing. I thought they were all like earthy, hippie people. Yeah, see, I, I don't know anything yeah. about anything really. But really, maybe the, the best advice that she gave Heather or, you know, the worst was that she sat Heather down and together they watched the 1998 rom-com fantasy drama, whatever you want to call it, Practical Magic. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, Practical Magic is about two sisters, Sally, played by Sandra Bullock, and Jillian, played by Nicole Kidman, who are witches that have been cursed such that any man who falls in love with them will die an untimely death. What? Um, At one point, Jillian's boyfriend becomes abusive and he kidnaps the sisters. In order to escape, Sally poisons him with belladonna and he dies. What's belladonna? It's a nightshade, deadly nightshade. That's the other word for it. Um, It's it's a plant that is poisonous. Very poisonous, yeah. Yeah. Well, the movie gave Heather the idea that if she were to poison her husband using this method, his death would look like a heart attack and she could collect his $750,000 life insurance payout. That's quite the payout. Yeah. So Heather began, you know, as most good potential murderers do, to tell everyone about her plan. Just everyone. So she told five friends about her plan to kill her husband, including Mindy and another neighbor, uh, Diane Zielinski. She even told her babysitter, Nathan Bleem, that Kevin was, quote, worth more dead than alive and that she planned on giving him a military funeral. So Heather's plan was to poison mashed potatoes. Not mashed potatoes. That's the best food ever. I love mashed potatoes. I had them right before we did this tonight. Oh, yeah. I hope you had someone else uh, try them first, just in case. Um, (laughs) Well, I saw most sources said mashed potatoes, but I did see one source that said shepherd's pie, which to me makes a lot more sense because who just brings like a bowl of mashed potatoes to work? I do. Me. (laughs) Literally, I can live on them (laughs) mashed potatoes french fries you've proved me wrong it could have just been mashed potatoes so the plan was to give them to him and he would eat them on his night shift and then she would call his office multiple times to make sure that he didn't answer assuming that that would mean that he was dead and then she would drive to his work and go to his office find his body and call the police so shortly after she came up with this plan and told everyone about it (laughs) because that's what she did. So this is on April 4th of 2000. She went to a local health food store and purchased a bottle of Belladonna capsules. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So Belladonna does have uh, some homeopathic uses. I think it's like a painkiller. And, you know, but that's also body killer. (laughs) Well, and this is also if you're buying it in a health food store, you know, obviously the dose is going to be small enough that it's not going to to kill you, um, which, you know, she didn't realize. So she just thought she could just walk into any store and buy some killer products. Well, even the total amount that was sold to her 
would have only been enough to give him some indigestion. <laughs> that still sucks. Yeah. 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 She brought the pills home and ground them up into a powder and put them in a vial. She didn't want her husband to find them, so she gave them to her neighbor, Diane. <laughs> who she had told this this plot to. So Diane had apparently not really believed her up until this point. And, you know, as soon as she was basically being roped in to be an accomplice, she kind of freaked out. So she called Mindy and they decided to go to the police together to turn Heather in. Damn so, it, Diane. Damn it, Diane. So police actually had Mindy wear a wire to go and speak with Heather to get her to confess to the plot, which she did because she just can't stop talking about her, her plan to murder her husband. And she even went into detail about what she thought that Kevin's autopsy report would show in terms of, you know, it, it just being a heart attack and not being nightshade. And this recorded conversation also revealed that not only was Heather having multiple extramarital affairs, but one of those affairs was actually with Mindy. Very complicated. Yeah. Which, I mean, she turned her into the police. What a terrible... Uh, lover or whatever. <laughs> it's yeah. too complicated for her. There's too much baggage there. Yeah. Well, Heather was arrested the next day while on her way to Diane's home to pick up the Belladonna. Remarkably, after Kevin learned about his wife's plot, he forgave her and stuck by her side throughout the trial. Yes. What? Yes. And they were married, so she couldn't he couldn't testify against her, right? Well, and he didn't want to. He thought that he could just like bring her home afterwards. He's like, it's all right. Fine. She's going home with me. It's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Oh. So he said that the it was just a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, he said it was just a domestic situation that got totally out of hand. What? And that her plot was, quote, simply nothing more than my wife acting out with her problem. <laughs> I have had men leave me for way less. <laughs> I would hope that, yeah, that's not what it takes for, for most guys. Apparently not even this for, for poor Kevin. He also allowed her to continue cooking his meals while she was out on bail. What the fuck? <laughs> and he, he lived to tell the tale. No more mashed potatoes though, right? I guess, yeah. Gotta draw the line somewhere. So Kevin was willing to testify actually on behalf of his wife to talk about, you know, their tumultuous relationship and the fact that he was emotionally abusive and how that might have played a role in in her choosing to do what she did but actually the judge wouldn't let him the judge said that these details were inadmissible in court uh the trial took place in september of 2000 and lasted just four days before heather was found guilty of attempted murder and she was sentenced to up to 10 years in prison and she served five years i knew it over the course of those five years she and kevin continued to write to each other every day and he came to visit her once a week oh how sweet yes <laughs> reflecting on this new attitude of Kevin's and yeah his kind of rededicate himself to the relationship Heather said quote in one aspect I love him for it but in the same breath he must be completely insane which yeah yes <laughs> so this shows me he actually truly loves me for the first time I can say that I feel loved which is like kind of sad for better or for worse I guess but, yeah well uh, Heather was paroled after five years she moved back in with Kevin and their children but in the end they divorced oh it was probably yeah. over something small like she wanted a dog he wanted a cat or something stupid okay having dinner and yeah and he's like could you pass the potatoes hey, honey love is dead we have Channing Tatum and Jenna Dewan breaking up and now poor Heather and Kevin oh yeah. they are I saw it last night and I was very upset over that like weird weirdly upset I probably shouldn't have been as upset as I was you we already lost Chris it. Pratt and Anna Ferris. I know. I can't handle more. I can never watch Step Up again or her lip sync videos where Aww. she dances to Pony. 
Oh, oh no. yes. That was I watched good. that like two weeks ago. I also watched it a few weeks ago. And now they split up. Maybe we cursed it. Oh, well. It's your fault. I shouldn't have watched that video so many times. Oh, uh, yep. They were like, oh, 7.5 million views. Yeah, we got to end this shit now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's my story. So crime inspired by practical magic. That's probably the only time you'll hear us talking about practical magic on this podcast. I've never even watched it. <laughs> and I like movies. They had a really funny callback at the Academy Awards because was the... Um, Nicole Kidman snuck up on Sandra Bullock, on Sandra yeah, Bullock when she was right? And they did that uh, reunion. That everyone was, pretty was funny. like, practical magic reunion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. All right. Well, now it's your turn to entertain me with, with the stories. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Do you like scary movies? What's your favorite scary movie? Do you want to die tonight? <laughs> So ours is based on the Scream franchise, and it was incredibly successful during the mid to late 1990s, which we all know that because we're old now. (laughs) It's true. Due to its popularity, some fans took their love of the movie a step too far. So we'd like to discuss a few of those. We actually have three. We're just going to kind of like give the basic information on them. So the first one is about two teenage boys, Daniel Gill and Robert Fuller. They decided to stab their 13-year-old quote-unquote friend soon after watching Scream. The second one we're going to cover is Mario Padilla. He was 16. He stabbed and killed his own mother with the help of his cousin. And this case was actually dubbed the scream murder and the motive will shock you even more than the crime itself. Ooh, Ooh. all right. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, Theory Jaredin. He wore the ghost face mask and robe while stabbing a 15-year-old girl with kitchen knives. Rochelle, if you want to take away case number one. Okay, so just hours after watching part of the movie Scream, Daniel Gill, who was 14 at the time, and then Robert Fuller, who was 15, attacked their victim, Ashley Murray. At the time of the trial, Ashley still suffered some paralysis on his left side. He recounted the series of events that led up to the attack by his friends. He was lured to Burke Craig Beauty Spot outside Harrogate. He stated that Gil stabbed him in the head and didn't stop until he pretended to be dead. Fuller is the one who stopped Ashley from escaping and then he stabbed him in the arm. So these are the the injuries that Ashley suffered. He had 18 stab wounds, both from a knife and a screw driver. He had a collapsed lung, a fractured rib, and then hypothermia. One of Ashley's wounds missed the largest blood vessel in his brain by a millimeter. Wow. God. And he's 13. Oh, it's amazing awful. that he survived. Oh, just the phrase stabbed in the head. I'm like, no, stabbing is for other parts of the body. <laughs> stabbing is for no part of the body, Chelsea. <laughs> That's where the mashed potatoes come in. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah like, t- I took a stab at that test. Hey. <laughs> hey, finger guns. Hey. <laughs> Gill and Fuller left Ashley for dead. They wrapped him up in a garbage bag, and he wasn't found until 40 hours later by a guy that was out walking his dogs. It's always the dogs that find them. That's because dogs are heroes, right? He recovered enough to testify in court, thankfully. Um, They did psychological testing on both of the boys, Gill and Fuller, and it was determined that they had behavioral difficulties. Understatement. (laughs) Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thought? During the trial, it came out that there was this guy named Paul Orens, who Gill and Fuller watched scream at his house, and he also provided drugs to the boys, knives, and black magic. Oh. How do you provide someone black magic? What does that mean? Right? (laughs) He was a drug dealer, though. 
is black magic the name of a drug? Or was it like some kind of curse? I don't know. Man, I hope there's black magic in your story, David. We're yeah. almost at the black magic trifecta. Was it black magic or practical magic? Hey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the combination of watching the movie and then the drugs that he gave them, it was, they said it like blurred the line between fantasy and reality. And that's, ooh, I guess, what they said kind of made them want to kill this kid. Um, they denied attempted murder. Fuller said he had no idea that the attack was going to happen. Gil, he initially he denied his involvement when the trial was taking place, but after that, he did admit his part in it. So the attorney for the boy said that Orens gave Gil drugs and then exposed him to the black magic or gave him the black magic, as we <laughs> said earlier, convinced him that the gods wanted Ashley to die. And then Orens, who appeared as a witness at the trial, he of course denied it. Um, he did say that he provided an unhealthy atmosphere in his home, but he denied that he had any kind of involvement in convincing them to do this. Ashley's parents said after the trial, no words can describe the anger and disgust that we feel, not only for the two boys responsible, but also the evil influence by others. Both boys were convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to at least six years. The judge released their names, although they were minors, due to the nature of the crime. And that's why it's public knowledge. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. And those young kids. Jeez. It's interesting. I guess I kind of wonder. I was, don't remember this hitting the news at the time, but I do know that there's a pretty long history of genre media being blamed for people's crimes. Yeah. So it's interesting. It seems more like they blamed the person who who gave them, you know, the drugs and the knives and showed them the movie versus the the movie itself. It screamed to me, I I don't know how that influenced someone to commit a crime, let alone three people. I know you've got two more there. That one that one is is weird too because that one happened in Scotland. No, in England. So in Yorkshire. And then um, he, once he was, he's 32 years old now, uh, Ashley kid. But when he was 24, they came out with a, another update on the case. The two boys were found guilty, as she said, but they were released after three years oh. and moved back to their hometown, which was like a couple, like around the corner from both of the, like his house. So he didn't leave his house for over a year because he was afraid. That's wow. crazy. Yeah. It's weird that they wouldn't release them on some sort of condition. Like you can't contact your victim or like live around. On the corner from them. Yeah. That's... Well, it seems like a lot of the the sentencing outside of the United States, the people are integrated into society a lot faster. And, you know, I think that has its yeah. its pluses and minuses, right? I mean, the sentence itself also tends to be more focused on rehabilitation, yeah. whereas in the United States, it's very much about just separating them from the general population. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, I, I do think that it's maybe a better structure elsewhere, although it's still weird to think that that dude that decapitated the person on the Greyhound bus is now, like, totally free and walking around yeah see and that that's weird too that you say like how you were talking about like other countries and stuff because i read something yesterday that was talking about the funding that we provide in the united states for jail and prisons compared to education and it's like ridiculous how much they update the prisons and how much money they spend on prisons but education is like you wouldn't even think it existed compared to it that's because with prisons there are actual people that are getting rich off of it whereas with education it's public i mean prisons are for the most part privatized now yeah unfortunately yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so the second case is, um, it actually happened July 1st, 1999. Mario Padilla was 17 years old and he used four knives and a screwdriver to stab his mother, Gina Castillo, to death. What's with the screwdrivers? I watched Scream last night to remember. Was there a screwdriver? There was a screwdriver. Oh, okay. And I, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. All these have screwdrivers. Like, what am I missing? There's a screwdriver on there. Oh. His mom, poor thing. Uh, so then his cousin was 15 years old. That was Samuel Ramirez. 
and he was an accomplice in the murder. According to investigators, the boys said they needed money to fund a planned murder spree, a spree that would closely follow the storyline of the two Hollywood screen movies that were out at the time, the first one and then the follow-up. So they did that strictly to go on a murder spree. Like they killed their mom just so they could do that. Like, can't you just like steal her money? Yeah, geez. Well, I mean, if they're going on a murder spree though, you know, why not start early? I guess, get some practice in. Hit the ground running. So additionally, investigators say the boys confessed to planning to buy costumes like those in the movie, as well as electronic voice boxes to conceal their identity. Smart thinking. Oh, yeah. So during the trial, jurors heard a 911 tape recording of Padilla's mother gasping out to an operator. My son, he's 16. He just stabbed me. I'm bleeding. Oh, I'm bleeding. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And they played that during the trial. So that's going to put people away. (laughs) Mario's own defense attorney opened up with the statement, Mario Padilla killed his mother. It was a brutal and horrible crime. I'm not going to sit here and say anything else. However, he did not suggest any kind of motive. That's his defense attorney. And he's like, ah, he did it. He really did it. I swear. (laughs) I can't do anything else here. Was there something strategic with not suggesting a motive, though? Was he going for, like, pleading insanity? I think because, yeah, we'll get there. Um, So, per the judge's instructions, the movie Scream and its sequel at the time, Scream 2, were not mentioned during the proceeding. He even ruled that no evidence relating to the films would be allowed at the trial. So, smart move. Yeah. And then, as we all know, since we've seen it, Drew Barrymore plays in Scream. And transcripts from the preliminary hearing show that Padilla picked out a classmate that he didn't know, but who resembled Drew Barrymore oh, that's so as one of his intended victims. So, like, think about being that girl. Like, oh, I was on his hit list. That's great. I didn't even say hi to that kid. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Jesus, you're fine. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, on audio taped confessions to sheriff's deputies, the teenagers said they were prompted to kill and make threatening phone calls to fellow high school students after seeing the movie Scream and Scream 2. Padilla and Ramirez confessed to stabbing Castillo and robbing her to get money to buy Grim Reaper costumes like the killers in the movies were. So... Fun fact for War Baby from the Killer Kids podcast, this case was expected to become another showcase trial on the effect of violent films on teenagers. But since the judge wouldn't allow any evidence in the courtroom, barring any mention of the phrase or even the movies. Additionally, he also banned TV cameras, issued a gag order, and suppressed all evidence, including material already made public. It was to be tried as a simple murder case. So the verdict came July 23rd, 1999. So they weren't even in the trial that long, a couple weeks. And Padilla was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And then separately, his cousin was uh, sentenced to 25 years to life for his role. Investigators say the boys plan to base their legal defense on the film Primal Fear, in which a young killer was set free after faking insanity. So many movie inspirations here. Wow. Samuel, the 15-year-old, was convicted of helping hold down Castillo, while Padilla stabbed her 45 times. They were also convicted of conspiring to kill five other people, including Padilla's stepfather. Jeez. A lot of that sounds like it's maybe motivated by 
by something other than the movie, like maybe a little bit of unhappiness. A little bit, yeah. Oh, that poor girl that looks like Drew Barrymore. That's a phrase that you don't hear very often. Poor girl that looks like Drew Barrymore. <laughs> that poor lady. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, I guess they needed uh, some kind of template to go by. <laughs> yeah. When they went to kill people, they're like, oh, let's just use Scream and Primal Fear because we got to get out of this afterwards. Yeah, a double feature, right. I guess. Yeah, it's crazy. And that one happened in um, Compton, California. So that was here, at least. Third one. November 18th, 2001, this occurred in Belgium, and an American judge once described Scream as the ironic cult horror film as a very good source to learn how to kill somebody. I mean, is it that hard to learn how to kill somebody? I mean, you just take a knife and you stab them, right? Yeah. <laughs> or you is poison a, their mashed potatoes. Yeah. Is it a cult? It was like one of the top uh, horror movies of all time, too. So I would not consider Everyone, it a cult film either. Everyone's seen Scream. I'm sure he saw Scream. Probably did. He's like, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. So the film and its sequels have attracted a cult following and fancy dress shops now stock replicas of the mask and robe which we all know that every halloween i guess maybe it is a little bit different though it could be a cult film if this is in belgium yeah versus, oh you know. that makes sense yeah, yeah. possibly yeah. i have a i have a, I have a ghost face mask in my closet so I, I was telling jason that we kim and i my sister and i both were, were the screen the ghost face guy the same halloween oh, we were cool. just both walking around like <laughs> killing people no i'm just <laughs> yeah we were like eight and nine or whatever i don't know <laughs> But so this film obviously inspired somebody else. He was a lonely Belgian lorry driver, which is also known as a truck driver over there. So I just thought lorry was fun. His name was Theory Jared and he was 24 and he chose a 15 year old schoolgirl to kill, which kind of bothered me at first. Like, why did he choose a 15 year old? But it's because she lived a few doors down from him. She stopped by his house and just wanted to give him some videotapes and chat with him, apparently. But when she stopped by, he made sexual advances towards her, which she rejected. He got really pissed off and he was going to show her what happens when you reject me kind of thing. So he went in the other room, put on his little robe and put on his ghost face mask and came back. When he went back into the room, he put his hand over her mouth to muffle her screams. At this point, he stabbed her 30 times, ripping open her left side. Uh. Yeah, he... Then lowered her blood-soaked corpse onto his bed, slipped a rose into one of her hands, and telephoned his father and a colleague to confess. He later told the police that his crime had been premeditated and had been motivated by the cinematic trilogy, Scream. After the incident, the town was in a state of shock as Allison was, quote-unquote, a dazzling young affectionate teenager who should have been celebrating her 16th birthday on November 16th, which was, or she had just celebrated it two days before that. And then other rumors started after that that, I guess they were in a little love affair and the dad was really pissed off that wow yeah i'd be too yeah it's sick crazy it's like three completely different crimes all inspired by the movie and i feel like the like their motivations are also so different it's like even though the movie is an aspect of it they all seem like they're messed up in very different ways and in three different places like totally different places which was weird wow that wes craven he's so inspiring (laughs) yeah i would say those are great cases but they're They're really not they're gruesome cases wow yeah well those are those are still three really good crimes inspired by the movie i hadn't i had not heard of those and it's fascinating i mean it's terrifying I had heard of crimes inspired by Scream. I never actually looked into the specifics, but it is one of those, I think, um, you know, when you think of natural born killers (laughs) being something that many murderers have found inspiring, if you, I guess, want to phrase it that way. Uh, I I have heard of Scream being one of those movies that, I guess, touched a a nerve or whatever. Well, there's no, like, fantasy element to it, so it's like, you could just throw on the mask and 
if you're going to kill somebody, you're going to kill somebody, I guess. They must think that that hides their identity somehow. Yeah. They'll never know who I am. (laughs) Right. Although all three of them got caught. Right. And the thing that bothers me, too, is like stabbing is such an intimate crime. How did you hate these people that much to like stab them? Yeah. And when they were all known to them, none of them were strangers. So maybe they did. Although, like that first one especially was just completely random. Hey, you want to come over and hang out? Oh, okay. Here, have some black magic, little boy. (laughs) I couldn't even figure out if that was like a drug or if they were like legit doing some black magic shit while they were high. I I could not figure it out for nothing. I I like that it's a question, though. It can be whatever you want it to be. And I'm definitely going with actual magic. (laughs) Right on. Well, speaking of Wes Craven, David, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Um, Everyone knows the answer at this point. Yeah, everybody knows that I will will not give up an opportunity to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, yeah, you guys' crime really leads into this one pretty well because I'm going to talk about the Freddy Krueger killer. Yes. This random killing spree happened in London and Sussex on September 15th through the 17th of 2004. 24-year-old Daniel Gonzalez, a young British man, killed four people and injured two others in a series of random attacks. Labeled the Freddy Krueger killer after a nightmare on Elm Street, Gonzalez told police he wanted to be, quote, remembered as a famous serial killer, according to BBC News. According to Richard Howell, the prosecuting attorney, Gonzalez had wondered what it would be like to be Freddy Freddy (laughs) Krueger. Freddy Krueger to be Freddy Krueger for the day. Police authorities reported that he wanted to be remembered as a famous serial killer. He also explained his adoration of Freddy Krueger, the knife-fingered killer from Nightmare on Elm Street, often wondering how it would feel to be like his evil idol, which as a fan of Freddy, I've not thought that. I thought maybe if I were in some dreams and had some kind of quirky quips and terrified some teenagers, maybe that'd be a little bit of fun. But, I was uh, really hoping you were going to say, I put my knives on every night and think, <laughs> what would it be like? Well, yeah, he says that. But he has a full Freddy Krueger costume. So if he wanted to be the Freddy Killer Krueger, he's got like the silicone mask that goes down and goes like under the sweater. He's got a silicone glove. Does it have like the real mask though? Well, they're metal, they're but they're the not sharp. They're version, yeah. 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 There are, there's a metal one. I have a plastic version so I can get into shows that don't um, allow sharp objects. Uh, yeah. I have the authentic striped sweater, all the, the pants and the boots and everything. And so, the hat yeah. yep, and yeah. the sunglasses. I do, yeah. I have the yep. part four sunglasses. Part four so. sunglasses, yeah. Prescription sunglasses so that I can see. <laughs> Well, the events leading up to Gonzalez's arrest began on September 15th of 2004. Gonzalez approached 61-year-old Peter King, who was walking his dog with his wife, Hilsa. Gonzalez told King that he was going to kill him. However, King fought him off and Gonzalez fled to Hove. He then stabbed 76-year-old Mary Harding to death while wearing a hockey mask like Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th. He messed up then. Yeah, there's a little bit of a crossover. Exactly, yeah. Well, right after that, he returned home to Woking and according to authorities, he determined that his failure to kill Mr. King um, occurred because his knife was too small. So he would later make up for that. Next. (laughs) I don't like the sound of that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit ominous. So next, he went to have some drinks in Tottenham until early in the morning. And by 5.30 a.m., he killed 46-year-old Kevin Molly by stabbing him in the face, neck, and torso with a pair of large knives that he had stolen from a department store. At 7 a.m., he forced his way into the house of Kumis Costantino in Hornsey, but was fought off after stabbing him in the arm. So again, he was not successful with that murder. At 8 a.m., he arrived in Highgate, where he tried to gain access to several random houses. He eventually murdered an elderly couple, 75 year old Derek Robinson and his wife 
Gene, who was 60 years old. He claimed the experience of murdering the Robinsons as, quote, orgasmic. And uh, that kind of sounds like maybe yeah. something Freddie would say. I don't know. Maybe it not. It does sound like something Freddie would say. Yeah. Um, but there'd be like a pun thrown in there. There would, yeah. 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 Well, he was finally arrested at a tube station after a decorator saw him naked and covered in blood in the Robinsons' house. First off, back up. What's a tube station? <laughs> so that's like a subway. A subway, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, the it's like tube. inner tubes. Like, are we by a beach? <laughs> yeah. Or... yeah. Well, you were mentioned earlier of the... Um, the lorry, yeah. The lorry, yeah. It was like, oh, tube station. <laughs> so wait, was he naked and covered in blood in the tube station? Um, I believe so, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. It was a very dramatic it arrest. sounds like an easy way to get, get busted. Well, yeah, a little bit. You look yeah. a little out of place, bud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gonzalez's mother, Leslie Savage, said that they had sought help for his mental health issues in the past, but their requests were not taken seriously. She says, quote, every time we asked for help for Daniel, we were told we would have to wait for a crisis to occur before he could get the help he needed. So Sounds like a crisis occurred. It definitely does. Four murders. Yeah, I think so. Two attempted. I think that classifies. Yeah, naked and covered in blood. (laughs) Well, uh, the other interesting thing, and you know, we talk about mental health a lot with cases like this, is that Gonzalez also appealed for help from his doctor. And he wrote, quote, Please, please help me. This is very urgent. I really, really do need medical help to find the correct environment and the correct medication. I need to take this in a controlled hospital environment. That's really sad. He was like reaching out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was reaching out. And at his trial, in fact, his defense claimed that he was schizophrenic and committed the murders at the urging of voices in his head. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty tragic on on all sides. And he was given six consecutive life sentences for the murders. In February of 2007, the European Court of Justice began reviewing their policies of lifelong imprisonment to determine if they amounted to a violation of human rights. And if the court outlawed lifelong imprisonment, then all prisoners serving whole life sentences in European prisons would have their cases recalled to court for a new minimum term to be set. That's crazy that they're debating whether life sentences are a violation of human rights. And then in the U.S. we're like, (laughs) keep them locked away or just kill them because we're done. Yeah. um, That is really different. It is really different. Yeah. And the timing of this was really terrible because Daniel Gonzalez committed suicide with a makeshift blade, which was a CD case at Broadmoor Hospital on August 9th of 2007. So, you know, he could have had the opportunity to have his sentence revisited and could have maybe had at least some hope that he could get the help that he so desperately needed. I mean, I would hope they were at least trying to treat him while he was in prison. You know, if he did have schizophrenia. Yeah. You would hope, but he yeah. was reaching out so much before and nobody helped him. That yeah. makes you wonder. It's, it's, it definitely. So Kevin Hoff, Kevin Hoffen, who is a criminologist and lecturer at the Birmingham City University in the United Kingdom, acknowledges that he had a disturbing past, but he does not believe it excuses his heinous behavior. He says, quote, Gonzalez was described as a dark and troubled boy, but many dark and troubled teenagers do not go on to commit violent crimes. And I think that's kind of a, a testament to the everlong debate over media and its impact on individuals and, and I guess decision to commit these sorts of, you know, terrible crimes. Like video games and scary movies and stuff. Yeah. Or KMFDM. <laughs> what? Marilyn Manson. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Which I think there has been a ton of research done over the impact of media and, you know, it's been largely determined that it does not actually push people over the edge. It's a lot of troubled, you know, the troubled individuals who do commit terrible crimes and, and and murders are already have issues that they're dealing with and I think it's it's that everlong discussion of mental health with with people and 
not just throwing people in prison um, or executing them. Really, I think it was Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it could have been. All Freddy Krueger's fault. Yeah, 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 he was puppeteering it all. Yeah. Just like a... Through their dreams, of course. Yep. Yeah, he had yeah. his little, what is it, Nintendo arm. <laughs> now, you're, now you're playing with power. <laughs> Well, um, Hoffman also said that, quote, a lot of research has been completed linking violent media to real world violence, and there is as much evidence to confirm it as to deny it. I think of human propensity for criminality like a Venn diagram. There has to be a crossover point for a number of features to profile a potential killer, not just one or two. So I think he's sort of acknowledging the fact that, you know, sure, like in a scream case, maybe the image of, oh, I can wear a mask, or in the case of a practical magic of a oh I maybe I could poison my husband or or in the case of like Freddy Krueger I could use some knives to kill someone it could be like a little bit of a, a, a tiny element of that but it's certainly not like he watched the movie and then yeah something else was going on and then that was like oh this is how I can do it yep yeah so um my sources were the real life murders inspired by Slenderman Freddy Krueger and other fictional characters and that is on the A&E Network website by Laura Barcella um, and that was February 12th of 2018 so it was a very timely article there was one called Be Like Freddy Krueger, Voices Told Serial Killer, and that was a Telegraph article by John Steele in the March 2nd, 2006 um, issue, which had happened uh, before Gonzalez had committed suicide. And then also the ever-great Murderpedia on Daniel Gonzalez. Yeah, we all we all love Murderpedia. This house, we love and appreciate Murderpedia. Um, well, that, I mean, it sounds like an absolutely perfect ending for our discussion. I think all of our stories have kind of showed that there are other factors that exist. You're not just going to watch a movie and start killing people. Yeah. So it, it's safe to, to yeah. go out and watch Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe keep away from Practical Magic. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it's I've heard it's a doozy. Yeah. 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 So um why don't we get into our now playings and coming soon? So David, why don't you start us off with your now playing? Uh yeah, my now playing is Ash versus Evil Dead season three, currently airing on stars. I love where season three has gone so far. We're at the I guess just over the midpoint of the series. Everything I love about Evil Dead has been happening in the uh, the current season. Whether or not the show gets renewed for season four is up in the air. But I'm enjoying what we're watching so far and Sundays when it airs on stars is pretty exciting for me so that's uh that's what I got going all right Rochelle how about you so lately I've been watching this show called Borderliner it's a net I'm pretty sure it's a Netflix original um I could be lying but it's a tv series either way so you can binge the whole thing at once which is my favorite thing to do it's great um it is in Norwegian so if you're down with subtitles or bad voiceovers um but it's great it's like a, a cop drama slash murder mystery people die there's cocaine involved um it's great yeah i'm really digging it. i'm like halfway through it's, it's really great oh nice sounds cool what have i been watching what's my now playing um oh i think i'm gonna go with the assassination of gianni versace again because although i've mentioned it before on the podcast it's done now it's over and it was so good i loved it so much more than the oj series it was it was just incredibly well done last episode dragged a little bit but i think that you know, in the context of the whole series, it was amazing. And I can't wait to watch it again from beginning to end. Luckily, we subscribed to the season. So now we own it all. So I want to watch it again in the order that it aired. And then I was thinking about trying to put it in chronological order and watching it because it's not chronological order when it airs. And I'm curious about what what both experiences would be like. So David's going to have to just suffer through that. Yeah, that's all right. Cool. Yeah. That's a good show. 
Yeah. So, Heather, what is your now playing? First of all, I like that you said it was better than the OJ series because I haven't watched it because I didn't really get into the OJ one. Oh, this, I mean, this is about a serial killer going through his spree. Oh, I mean, this is, yeah, this is not a, a trial case. I mean, I like the OJ series for what it was, but this is completely different and so good. I'm going to have to watch that. All right. So, I guess currently my now playing is Dexter. I'm still trying to catch up, guys. I know. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> everybody who's been asking you're not caught up yet you know there's a murder who's inspired by Dexter. i know i have yeah. it it's in my binder it is insane i've heard a few podcasts cover it which is the only reason that i didn't pick it for this episode but man i wanted to so bad and i'm like mm, i'll just stay away but uh so i'm just catching up on that and then actually i just remembered uh jason and i just binged season two of the santa clarita diet or whatever oh, i yeah. love it so much <laughs> it's like it's like a good spin on murder i guess if you can spin murder i've seen the first couple episodes it's really funny yeah yeah so when I first started watching season Drew Barrymore yeah <laughs> Drew Barrymore yes full circle guys but when I first started watching it Jason's like what are you watching that's weird and I was like watch and then he like binged it with me I'm like, this is great all right so coming soon uh David what do you have what have you got for us uh that's a tough one what do I have coming soon I don't know um I really do want to check out The Quiet Place which I think is hit- hitting soon sounds like pretty amazing it's a horror movie where I think the world has become a place where if you make sound these um these monsters will come out and eat you or whatever so that sounds really dramatic and scary so i want to check that out again excellent reviews it's supposed to actually be very good starring john krasinski yeah directed by him too yeah Yeah. all right rochelle what about you um so mine is not dramatic or scary at all or however you just described that um i'm dying to see love simon Oh, my parents just saw that what last night. What did they night. think? They're very picky. So how they described it was like a John Hughes movie. Like sold. I know. And that's the thing. I was yeah, like, yeah. this sounds amazing. And yeah. But they, they are a little bit picky. So I think they were expected to be maybe maybe more meaningful rather than just being kind of like fun, which. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I that's what I want to see. First of all, Nick Robinson is Bay. I've had a crush on him <laughs> since he was probably jailbait. <laughs> I'm going to. He's only like 22 now, but I love him. He's so cute. He's got a little smirk. All right, enough about Nick Robinson. But I love coming-of-age tales. They're my favorite. I still read young adult novels. Don't judge me. I like them. No judgment. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited oh, to see that. I'm yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awkward coming of age like young adult novels about like finding yourself my jam so oh sweet yeah I had a co-worker that saw it and she loved it yeah she, yeah she really really enjoyed it all right so for mine I'm going to go with I'll be gone in the dark the new Michelle McNamara uh book who you know she sadly left us um a little while ago but the the book was just completed and came out gosh I think was it the end of last month I haven't done this for have I done this for coming soon already Ed. all right I've got uh Golden State Killer on the mind because I've been listening to the new season of criminology and I just can't get enough of it so I've been uh, thinking long and hard about what to listen to for an upcoming long drive that I have and I think I think that's what I'm leaning on so nice I love criminology oh my gosh they're so good so mine I'm so glad you didn't say it because you were like yeah that doesn't have to be all like drama and you know game night with Jason Bateman (laughs) about the murder mystery party yeah that looks fun cannot wait yeah Yeah. so that one is yeah I can't wait the trailer looks so good yeah I I do love him yeah I read a great I read a great review that said yeah don't underestimate the movie oh cool oh I don't even care what the reviews say at this point (laughs) I just have to see it I don't even care (laughs) nice all right so where can our listeners find you 
on social media? Everywhere. Okay, so uh, Instagram is at nature versus narcissism, all one word. Twitter is n versus n podcast. And then Facebook is nature versus narcissism. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple. Uh, what's the other one? Android. Tune in. Tune in. <laughs> <laughs> We're in so all many places. All the podcast things. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you can find us on Podbean now. This is actually our first episode that we're going to be posting onto Podbean. So we've been having all sorts of issues with our previous hosting service. And we're hoping that we're we're through that now. You know, Podbean is, is pretty intuitive. So we're excited to not post an episode and then immediately start getting messages being like, what happened to your last three episodes? Because they've just disappeared. Uh, um, but you could also find us everywhere. Instagram at Based on True Crime. Twitter at True Crime Based. You can see my saga of the mouse head. I've been posting about that on Twitter all day on Facebook. Um, also, our discussion group called of Based on a True Crime. And actually, you guys have a great discussion group as well. So we encourage all of you to join that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 good to get by Zuckerberg's ever-increasing stranglehold on pages. Yeah, discussion groups get a little bit higher visibility, which is nice. Also, if uh, you want to check out our Patreon, we have a monthly exclusive episode that you can't find anywhere else. And also a cool um, little kit that we send you at certain pledge amounts if you want to check out my art check out at lab creature on instagram and everywhere else and our podcast theme and supporting music was composed and performed by the late wait the late great oh my god oh no. my god <laughs> died and you didn't even know it yeah by the great uh <laughs> he's gonna get a kick out of that yeah by nico vatisse of we talk of dreams who can be found on twitter at we talk of dreams and their website we talk of dreams.com and on instagram at we talk of dreams all right well thanks guys for joining us thanks for having us thanks for coming to the dining room yeah <laughs> yes awesome. oh and we'll be back and uh, all you listeners who are here in this episode please check out nature versus narcissism search them out subscribe and rate and review give them a great review yeah check out our show notes yes. we'll have links to all of their social media in the show notes we will um there's a storm of brewing outside so if you've heard thunder rumbling in the distance i mean really it just means that uh, death is but a door and time is but a window we'll be back credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.